All right, so we're starting a new series today, still in the uh, Sermon on the Mount that we're calling Pray. And it's uh, talking with the Almighty, engaging with God. And uh, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. They have them in the back. They'll just walk, run right to you. So if you need one, we want you to be able to read it yourself. You know, there's something I forgot to tell you that uh, let me just, while you're looking that up, let me tell you, we... I'm trying to get a surprise together that when we get back to the campus, and uh, we hope it's by Christmas, but about a year from now, within the next year, we'll be back, uh, many of us, back in the campus in Dana Point. And uh, part of the surprise is that we're doing a renovation on the sanctuary, what we'd call our current sanctuary, at the same time that we're doing the rest of the project. Maybe the surprise is how it's actually going to get paid for, because it's an, an additional million dollars and a half, a million and a half dollars. And uh, so you might be able to help me with some of that, but, and, that and I would appreciate it. But here's the part where I need help this week. As we begin working on it, like anytime you renovate a room, you need to empty it. And the elevator is not working. So if your spiritual gift is picking up boxes and toys from the nursery and walking them upstairs to be determined, is this trash or treasure? Is this something we're keeping or giving away? Um, if that's your gift, then meet me there Wednesday morning starting at 8 o'clock, okay? Because uh, we're going to empty the downstairs and get it ready uh, so that we can uh, get uh, all the different uh, tradesmen in there to fix the place up, and you are going to like it. So uh, anyway, if you uh, want to give me warning, that's great, and uh, email the church office or just show up ready to work with your work gloves. There will be plenty that we can get done. So that, that, now I remembered. Okay, so let's get back to Matthew chapter 6 because oh, something else I needed to tell you. Last week, Sean McDowell was speaking because it was Sanctity of Life Sunday, and, and we were celebrating uh, little lives that God gives us, and uh, we support the Pregnancy Resource Center in San Clemente, and Sean has a lot of books uh, that he uh, had for sale, and 100% of the sales went toward the Pregnancy Resource Center. So thanks to your generosity, we were able to provide an additional gift of $4,000 to go to the Pregnancy Resource Center this week. Isn't that good news? Two weeks ago, Pastor Eric got us started right here in Matthew chapter 6. Really, I'm working my way back into it here. And um, he, uh, he pointed out that in Jesus' day, there were three disciplines that uh, Jewish people would practice in their faith. The giving of alms uh, or offerings, prayers, and fasting. And so last uh, two weeks ago on giving, Jesus basically said, give to the poor. Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And then on prayer, it's just talk to God. Focus on God and talk to him. And we're going to be looking at this for the next few weeks. And then fasting, we'll save that for later. And so today we're talking about prayer. How do God's people approach God in prayer? How do you talk to him the right way? I mean, prayer is talking to God, talking with God. It's not really God talking. When God speaks, God isn't praying. God doesn't pray. God gives insight. He gives inspiration. And, uh, but uh, when we pray, it's us talking to God and, and uh, being in his presence. So Jesus didn't say, and this passage doesn't start in Matthew 6, starting verse 5. It says, when, Jesus said, when you pray. And I like that. He didn't say if. He said when. He knows that sooner or later we're going to have some kind of crisis, some kind of need, some reason that we're going to call out to God and say, God, can you help me here? And so we will call out to him in prayer, and God likes that. 
He loves to hear us call his voice and engage him in conversation. But sometimes, somehow, people have figured out how, how to misuse prayer, and Jesus speaks out against that. So Jesus wants us to offer good prayers. And how do you do that? Well, you start by checking your heart and check your motives. And then you practice, practice, practice. When I was about eight years old, my mom called me into her music room, and she said, today, let's begin to learn how to play the piano. Well, sitting next to me on the piano bench was my seven-year-old red-headed sister named Tina, and we did everything together. In fact, we were even saved on the same day at the same time. We were baptized on the same day. Um, in fact, she got in the water first, and we each were supposed to have a verse ready, and I was going to share John 3.16, and she shared that one. So then I shared John 3.17, which comes right after it. And so you'll have to look it up if you don't know that verse. But anyway, so the two of us are sitting there on the piano bench, and um, we started off together. And uh, to quote Robert Frost, two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And um, we each went one way. I hacked at piano lessons for about eight years and finally quit against my mother's wishes. And Tina took, piano, took to piano like a fish takes to water. And uh, she became a musician and then a church organist and then a music teacher in public schools. And you know the road that divided us? is named practice. Practice. One of us practiced. You know, does the idea of a prayer make you uncomfortable or make you squirm or feel itchy or feel guilty? I mean, here's the way forward. Practice. You know, we could always do more. When we think, think, tell me about your prayer life, we always have a certain amount of guilt or feeling like we just haven't done enough. But sometimes we've done more praying than we give ourselves credit for. I got thinking about this, and some of our prayers, we pray out of habit, and it's a good habit. We pray before we eat. Some couples pray together before they fall asleep. Okay, Cindy and I forgot that one last night, but seven out of ten, you know? And um, uh, we, we pray... Uh, every Sunday, numerous times. And in fact, I pray the first prayer in the morning is just privately like this passage tells us to do, in, in private with the door shut, uh, because, well, when God's talking through Jeremiah the prophet, he is very critical of the pastors or the prophets, and he says, do you know, you stand up and you just say any fool thing that comes to your head, that's your idea. He says, you're not telling them my word. And then he says in Jeremiah 23, if you had stood in my presence and listened to my word, you would have given my word to the people, and then they would know God's word and be able to live by it. So that's the first prayer that I have on Sunday. And when Abraham would hear God's voice, he began his prayers like this. Here I am. Here I am. When David, he started a lot of his prayers, oh, Lord. <laughs> you go read the Psalms, oh, Lord. And Daniel, who lived out his faith in a hostile environment, had a habit of getting on his knees three times a day at a certain window in his house that faced the direction of Jerusalem, which was where he had been born and grew up as a child and then was ripped out of there and taken as a captive to Babylon 745 miles away, lived there the next 70 years. To our, my knowledge, never got back to Jerusalem but he would pray to God every day as a habit. I mean, these prayers are habits. They're good habits. Some people even develop them further into a discipline of prayer, which is you're doing the same thing over and over in a desire to achieve the same result, which is you talk to God to get close to God and to get your thoughts aligned with his thoughts. 
So some prayers we do as a discipline. We have a prayer team here at church. In fact, you could join it. You can guess what they do. They pray. They pray a lot. They get the email updates on people who have problems and need prayer. Like yesterday, a, a woman fell out of her car and broke her leg. And so she was in surgery later in the day. And we were praying even while she was in surgery. So you could get on that team quite easily. You just put it on the blue card or to say, please add me to the, to the prayer chain. I mean, there's a team of people Monday morning. It's hardly light. And they meet here at church and they get the blue cards and they pray through all of them one by one by one by one from this service and the, the other two services, all three services. And then those prayer requests are typed up so that all the pastors and staff and prayer chain people can read them and pray for them. And then your pastors and staff on Tuesdays at 2 o'clock stop everything we're doing. We gather in the fireside room and we pray. If you're here on Tuesday at 2, join us for prayer. I mean, we're busy and there's lots to do, but prayer is a discipline and we need God's guidance and we need his help and we need his protection and we need his blessing. And we don't want to be so busy that we don't have time to pray. In fact, Jesus said, what, couldn't you pray with me one hour? And I guess our answer is no, we pray half that long on Tuesdays, but you'd be welcome. And then Wednesday night, the choir gets to hear and to practice, but you know what? They pray. And Wednesday night also, the youth gather. In fact, they're gathering under a new name. They're using the name now Anchorage because they're anchored in Christ. And I like it a lot. And when they gather, they pray. And on Thursdays during the month, second halfers meet for lunch and they pray. And the gals get together and they meet for lunch and they pray. And Thursday afternoon, grief share group meets, you know, for people who've lost somebody precious and they pray. In fact, the memorial service today is for Judy Leonard, who lost her first husband. He died. And so she was teaching a grief share in a different church. And one of the students who came through the class was named Dan. And they ended up getting married. And then they came here, and they taught Grief Share together. And Judy Leonard, we have in Grief Share, there's 13 sets of material that they go through, and then they start over. And Judy was faithful to be one of the leaders. She taught through that 13 sets of material 50 times while she was here at South Shores, along with Lennox. What a huge blessing to so many people. But they pray. And then Sunday mornings, we pray at the beginning of our service, and we pray in the middle of our worship service, and we're going to pray at the end of our worship service. We pray at every wedding that we have at church. We pray at every funeral. I mean, this discipline of prayer is making the point, we believe in our God and in his power, and we believe that God is listening to the voices of the, the ones that are devoted followers of his. And while he's running the whole universe and doing a very good job of, of managing everything that he's created, and, he, and everything's going to work out for good. He can do that. God responds favorably to the genuine prayers of people who ask for his help. It gets special attention from God when you and I pray. So we're going to do it often, and we're going to do it in a way that's intentional, and we're going to pray when we get together. We pray. Now, some prayers you're going to offer, uh, you probably even did this week, are spontaneous. Maybe somebody nearly cut you off or you're nearly in an accident and you find yourself speaking to God. Or maybe you go down on a walk and you see the sunset over the ocean and it just prompts you to start thinking of God and praising God and thanking God for his many, many blessings to us. Maybe your boss is on your case and you silently ask Jesus for strength and patience and wisdom and grace. Maybe you got an email from a missionary 
and it's marked urgent prayer needed. I've gotten that. Some of our small groups have adopted. That's Peter Fredheim in Nigeria. I went back and looked. I got 10 different emails with that, telling that story. Remember that I told you about this guy who was uh, uh, anti-Christian, and suddenly he, he met uh, Christ face-to-face, and he's become a believer. Maybe you found yourself needing a prayer when you heard coming out of you an unkind attitude or a word squeaking out, and, and, and you didn't like it as you heard it, and you said a little prayer asking God to forgive you because you really want to be a bigger person than that, and you really want to be a positive influence in the lives of the people around you and in your family and in friends. Or maybe you've had a banner day, like after one of your children got married or, or has a baby or you've lost a loved one and you have just a precious moment of prayer and maybe share a tear with the Lord. So you see, maybe you're really doing a lot more praying than you had thought. And maybe you have or are being led in some good habits, disciplines of prayer. Keep practicing. And, and in those clutch moments when you need some extra strength or wisdom or something, you turn to God spontaneously. How do God's people approach him in prayer? As a habit? As a discipline? Spontaneously? I mean, here's an idea for this week. Try writing a prayer down and look it over and see if you can improve it. We have a book of prayers that we read together at home and, and he says things in different ways that kind of dislodges your thinking a little bit, makes you think about it a little more. Well, Jesus gives us some insight in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Here's, he's just been talking about when you, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And he says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and to pray in the synagogues and at the same on street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now Jesus noted Some of the people that he saw praying were praying with the wrong motives. They were praying for the wrong reason. They were praying to be noticed and to impress others. And they they had bad motives. Their motive was public recognition and to please or impress other people rather than a good motive of being recognized by God in private and pleasing God. I don't think we see as much of this in our culture as you had in Jesus' day, where they actually would have a trumpet sound and people would stand and to pray, or people standing in public just to pray. I did see a lot of it in Africa as a missionary kid, predominantly a Muslim culture that would call its followers to pray. First call even came before it was light in the morning. But five times a day, that call would go out. People would stop and do public prayers. Or I've seen it at the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall in Israel where people gather to pray in a public place. It's not that like we're any better. I think often in our country, most people have just forgotten and don't pray a lot of the time. But prayer is talking to God, and it can be misused or abused. And Jesus is saying, since prayer is talking to God, keep your focus on God. Talk to God. Neil Diamond was singing a love song at a concert. I think I saw, probably saw this on YouTube, but I think he's done this uh, little stunt several times where he will sing to one sweet, beautiful somebody in the front row. And um, 
focus on just one person. So there's thousands of people present, but he picks out this sweet-looking lady in the front row, and he focused his love song on her, and he's singing, he's swaying, he's swooning. It's like he's dancing with her close, and, uh, you know, he's not touching her, but he wants her eyes on him. He wants her full attention, and he wants her to enter into the experience and, and make a love connection with him to look like they're two lovers. Hello again, hello. I mean, song sung blue, play me. But instead, I mean, she loves the attention. She can't believe it's happening with a real-life celebrity, but she, she's, her attention's distracted because she's trying to get out her camera, you know, so that a friend of hers can take her picture, but the person doesn't know how to run it. And so here, give me that. Let me show you how to do it. And he's singing to her over here, and she's trying to get the, so she can get the picture, you know, to show people later. And he's wanting hello again, and she's, leaving him a solitary man. <laughs> and he said something to that effect afterwards. He said, I was trying to sweep you off your feet and you were only interested in the part that was for show, for later. You missed your moment. Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like that. Playing to impress the crowd is the wrong motive. Instead, pray with the right motive. Just talk to God. Do it in private because God sees everything in private. And when God sees your contrite heart and he hears your honest prayers, he's going to be more active in your life and in situations around you. And you will be blessed and he will reward you. Then he goes on to talk about the manner of prayer. Look what he says. When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus is saying, you know, have these prayers that people pray to idols made out of wood and stone. And they say repetitious prayers over and 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 over. Thinking, you know, you come to God the same way that you're going to just kind of beat him down by how much you pray. He says, don't be like the Gentiles, which I think he means, he's using that as a synonym for the outsiders, the people who have a religion, but they don't have a real relationship going with God. They pray the same prayers, the same chants over and over and over, thinking they're going to wear God down, but it's, it's meaningless. In 1 Kings 17, God introduces probably the greatest prophet from the Old Testament. His name is Elijah. And the reason not only was his ministry, but just the, the proofs in the pudding that of all the prophets, he's the one God came and swept up in a fiery chariot to take to heaven. He didn't die. He just, he was transported uh, with a chariot to heaven. And when God brought, sent two representatives to come down and to stand by Jesus at his moment of transfiguration, it was Moses and Elijah. So Elijah was there. In fact, Elijah's name was used to promise that another prophet was going to come in the power and spirit of Elijah to announce the coming Messiah. Jesus later identified that was John the Baptist who was Elijah who was to come. And so Elijah arrived at a very dark, dark period of Jewish history when the king was wicked and didn't trust God, so he married himself a wife from the neighboring country that was powerful right next to him so he could make an alliance thinking he's going to, this will be, uh, you know, this will be safer than just depending on God. Happened to be, though, that his wife Jezebel was an enthusiastic worshiper of a god of stone, the fertility god named Baal. And she brought hundreds of prophets of Baal with her right into Israel and set up shop. 
And they began practicing their sinful practices and setting up places to worship Baal right there in Israel. And God's people were caught in the middle. Do you go along with what's popular now, which we know isn't right? Or do you follow God and pay a really high price? And many of them were torn away from their faith in God. I mean, suddenly it was out of style to pray to the one true God. And you could lose your life just because you trusted God or because you were a true prophet of God. And into that situation, God sent Elijah with a message. He said, go tell the king. Oh, king, because of your sin and your wickedness, the one true God says this, there will be no rain till I say so. And then he turned and ran away. Well, rain was thought to be a blessing from Baal. Baal's a fertility god. Rain is what causes the earth to flourish and to grow new fruit. So Yahweh is saying, God is saying, I am more powerful than Baal. I can stop the rain. And after a whole year of no rain, no crops would grow. And people were getting hungry. And there's no Elijah. And a second year with no rain, people are starving. They're barely surviving. And after a third year with no rain, it's a very desperate, dusty time. And at the three-and-a-half-year mark, God sent Elijah back to the king. He just showed up one day. They'd been looking everywhere for him and couldn't find him. And Elijah said, tell you what, let's have a showdown on the top of Mount Carmel. We're going to see who the true God is. Is it Baal or is it Yahweh? Is it God? Let's set up two altars, one for Baal, one for Yahweh God. And the God who can light the sacrifice that we put on the altar on fire without lighting it on fire, that God will be declared the winner and on Baal's team is the king and the queen and the 450 prophets of Baal. And on this team, there's just Elijah and God. Baal's team goes on the offense first, and they prepare the sacrifice on the altar. And this is found in 1 Kings 18. I'm not making it up. In fact, I'll just read you the story. In verse 18, 1 Kings 18, verse 21, it says, And Elijah came near to all the people, and he said to them, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. And then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, and, but put no fire to it. And I'll prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers with fire, he's God. And all the people said, that's a good idea. It is well spoken. And then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it for it first, since you're so many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from early morning until noon, saying, oh, Baal, answer us, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made, and at noon... Elijah really couldn't contain himself. He mocked them. He's kind of scoffing at it, putting it in their face. And he said, cry louder, for he's a god. Maybe he's musing, or he's in the bathroom relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep. you got to wake him up. And they cried aloud, and they 
cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. And then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. Now the prophets of Baal in this are an example of exactly what Jesus is talking about. This endless stream of words to an idol that cannot hear. Meaningless raving on and on, thinking somehow God is going to be impressed with the determination or the self-sacrifice or the, the, the self-injury. Jesus says, don't do it like that. God already knows what you need. We just come before him with sincerity of heart, with faith and trust that he's God and he can handle us and our problems and we can trust him with them. We can trust him with our lives. And that's what Elijah did when he finally took the stage. He set the sacrifice on the altar and even a little bit of a showman, he even doused it in 12 barrels of water and then he simply asked God for help. And zing, a lightning bolt sizzled and the sacrifice burned up and the wood burned up and even the rocks burned up and the water, it says, was licked up into the fire and everybody saw it. And God won a great victory that day. And you know what God had started? One solitary man sold out to following God, whatever that meant, willing to come to God and to pray and to stand and to stand alone even if necessary to pray for himself and God's people and ask God for help, to have a meaningful conversation with God in heaven. So what is Jesus telling us to do? Well, when we pray, pray to God. You don't do it for show to other people. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. And when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Prayer is not for impressing other people. Prayer is for pleasing God. So we pray to God and we pray with God. He says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard with their, for their many words. Don't be like them. For your heavenly Father knows that you have a need before you even ask. Prayer isn't a manipulation game. We don't wear God out or sometime, you know, somehow by repeating the same thing enough times to impress him, prayer is intended to be a meaningful conversation with a real God who knows you and who loves you and who wants you to talk with him. So God's people pray to God and with God in order to please God. And you know what the reward is? He talks several times here, here about a reward. Here's the reward. God himself in your life. A relationship with God in heaven. A reward is a life guided and directed by God. It's forgiveness for all your sin and your shortcomings, and it's a home forever in heaven. So practice, practice, practice. Pray a lot. Pray extra this week. Develop a rich prayer life that's private with God as your focus. I mean, choose real meaningful words as your conversation. And get to know who you're talking to. That's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a prayer that Jesus gives to say, here's how you pray. We're going to look at it over the next few weeks. So start with Jesus. Is he yours? Is he in your heart? Is he in your life? Because he wants to be. 
See, the kind of relationship we're talking about is only made possible because of the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. Because he paid the price for reconciliation. And you and I come to him, he's offering himself. And you got to take his hand. God's people pray in order to please God. So let's be intentional and follow Jesus' guidance. Shall we pray? Dear God, we do pray because you hear. Because you ask us to. Because it draws us closer to you. Because it gets us ready to hear your voice. So speak to us today how we be more like you. How we be more intentional. Thank you for being our God and giving us this great guidance. We love you. Thank you so much for loving us. Amen.